G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 8 Review, fresh from the studio, fresh from a big weekend of football, uh, wrapping things up on a Sunday evening and uh, back to a bit of normality now after all those uh, split rounds. And Well, actually, no, we had two Friday night games, but we're getting back to a sense of normality. Um, things still looking pretty different, though, in terms of the ladder. Uh, and uh, we're here to discuss that and all nine games uh, in this podcast, always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet, of course. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, very good evening to my Footyology podcast co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw, how are you going, Shorey? Good evening and um, happy Mother's Day. A, a late happy Mother's Day, mind you. Uh, it's uh, after the last game of the round, so uh, we might as well uh, give every, all the mums a cheerio. Absolutely. I've uh, I've seen mine and uh, just got a, a nice text from her. She's always chuffed to see her uh, progeny on, uh, on Mother's <laughs> Day and uh, they do a fantastic job and... Just the two games today, of course, we had two games on Friday night, partly because of mm. Monday's uh, uh, Mother's Day, because when it's uh, a choice, even between football and your mum, your mum's going to win out. So uh, I echo Robert's sentiments. Uh, very happy Mother's Day to all those mums who listen to our podcast. And uh, I reckon there might be plenty of them. Let's have a quick chat about the ladder, though, Rob, because uh, some big moves in round eight and uh, the two most obvious things to talk about in that regard are Carlton sitting in the top four after a big win on Sunday over the Crows and perhaps even more ominously Richmond remember them they won three flags in four years not all that long ago well they have moved from 12th to inside the eight after a particularly good win over Collingwood on Saturday two of the big Old heavyweights of the old VFL. Should we be worried, Robert, about either of those potential juggernauts? The Blues in fourth, the Tigers in eight. Well, it's good. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, it's good to see them in there. And um, uh, there's a bit of everything in that letter. Something old, something borrowed. And uh, what's the borrowed? Um, uh, Sydney borrowed from South Melbourne. Oh, yeah, very something good. Old, yeah. Something old, no, something borrowed. That's good. And, well, you could say and, and, Brisbane. And something, and something blue, Carlton. Uh, very good. Uh, you could also say Brisbane borrowing a bit of uh, your <laughs> old, one of your old clubs, the old Fitzroy. Look, uh, look, the, the, the debate will range. Um, it's a good window for Carlton, obviously, 6 2. It's a beautiful start. Um, only went to sleep. They went to sleep today. We'll talk about it later. They went to sleep for only 20 minutes. It was a pretty um, business-like and professional performance. And, of course, um, 
Dustin Martin, uh, Shy Bolton, uh, Trent Cotchin had a great game. Uh, the veteran seems to be getting a little bit fresher. And the two big blokes up forward. So um, beware the tiger. Well, we'll talk about that shortly too. Of course, the uh, the thing we haven't even mentioned because it's less of a shock now, but if you think back to pre-season, we're looking at the ladder at the end of round eight and we saw Fremantle in second spot. Don't reckon we would have been uh, accounting for that. So uh, the Dockers just bowling along brilliantly with a 7-1 record. They and Brisbane both on 7-1 <clears> behind the only undefeated side in the competition, the Melbourne Football Club, who have now won 15 games on the trot. I think, Rowan, that um, 100% of people would have had Melbourne, Brisbane, Geelong, Sydney and Richmond in the eight at this stage. Yes. So the floaters are still Carlton, St Kilda. I'm not sure Freo's a floater. You know, uh, and, well, uh, I think they're there for keeps, but yeah. uh, it's it's certainly uh, I don't reckon they would have been featuring second spot on too many people's preseason ladders. However, right, uh, another big round of AFL football to break down in detail. Let's get into it. On footyology, wrap around. Well, there were two games on Friday evening to kick us off in round eight. The first of those was over in Adelaide. It was a rematch of last year's preliminary final between Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs. And a pretty different result this time, both the victor and the margin. Port Adelaide continuing its resurgence and winning by 17 points over the Bulldogs. 12-14-86, defeating the Doggies 10-9-69. The goal kickers for the power, three to Finlayson, two each to Marshall, Powell Pepper, and Robbie Gray for the Bulldogs, four to Aaron Norton, who not for the first time played a bit of a lone hand up forward, and two to Bailey Smith, East Melbourne's finest mullet. Uh, bad night for the Doggies on the injury front too. They lost O'Brien with a calf, Vandermeer with a hamstring, Cody Waitman with the shoulder injury, and uh, he's going to be missing for several weeks. Uh, but Port Adelaide, their season has sprung to life after uh, looking absolutely gone and out of the running. And uh, all of a sudden, Rob, they're back in the ball game. They certainly are, Rowan. This was pretty. This was a good game up to half time, seven four to six six. Uh, two significant outs also for the Dogs. Um, I'm not making excuses. Uh, Port would deserve winners. No Bontempelli and, and and no Wallace. So they were significant outs for me. I think you touched on it very clearly. Um, Finlayson got three, uh, grade two, Marshall two, good spread of goals. And once again, you summed it up, the heavy reliance on Norton, um, s- still waiting with bated breath for, for Bruce to come back. And of course, Nor- uh, English can take his spot in a forward pocket at times. So a bit of a worry about um, a heavy reliance on one key forward, particularly in the nature of the way the game's going now, about the multi-pronged forward line attacks. The dogs just haven't got it. And now six to eight weeks, if that's a snapped uh, collarbone for their uh, best small forward. Well, the failure of uh, Eugle Hagen to come to the party this year was always going to be a big factor in how they went this year. And we're we're just not seeing it. We're, We're seeing a similar story of Aaron Norton having too much to do on his own, particularly 
with Tim English out because that denies him his capacity to go forward and play that uh, de facto key forward role. In stark contrast, and here's the big turnaround with Port. Like, I'm sure it was only a month ago we were despairing about their reliance on Charlie Dixon and, and their desolation at his failure to be part of it this year. And what were they going to do? Well, what they've done is Todd Marshall has come good in a big way. Jeremy Finlayson has started to find his feet in his new uh, club colours. And Mitch, Gray's fit. And, and Mitch mm. Giorgiardi. So yeah. it's, it's a great spread of goal kickers, but some genuine tall timber up there too. Now, to that end, um, Finlayson kicked three goals in this game from 14 disposals, seven marks. Marshall kicked two from 14 touches and eight marks. Georgiades, now he didn't kick a goal, but he did kick four behind. So, uh, but for wayward kicking, that trio could have had uh, nine, ten between them. Um, now, the dogs already stretched. The other thing with the dogs we've got to mention too is the absence of Alex Keith. That has been absolutely huge for them. But here's my worry about the dogs. And, and yes, I put my hand up here. I thought I tipped them to win the flag. I thought they'd go on with it. But They've got issues wow. with their list, not so much in midfield, but at either end. Norton left with too much to do in terms of goal scoring, and that's because of Eugle Hagen not getting a wriggle on. And the dependence on Alex Keith down the other end. Now, Tim O'Brien has been brought in to, to shore up the defence. He's had injury issues and, and again now, so um, that's a worry. And They've got too many undersized players having to play def key defensive roles, e.g. Hayden Crozier, even the likes of Ed Richards. Ed Richards is a little guy. He shouldn't be having to contend with bigger forward types from oppositions, but that is a real issue for them, no matter how good their um, their midfielders are, Rob. Exactly. Look, um, and, and you talk about multiple options. The marks inside 50 were 21 to 9 to Port Adelaide. That, that's, you know, if they, they if they clamp Norton down and have that spread of marks inside 50, that forward line's functioning well. And last one for me, a special mention for, um, uh, it's gone quickly, Sam Pepper Powell, 100 games. Powell Pepper. Uh, Powell Pepper. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Peter Piper picked the pepper. <laughs> it is, but good on him. Um, had issues, um, as a lot of these kids do. Looks to be settled down, got a partner, got a young child. So he's playing terrific uh, a season of football in that midfield. And and when he was out, they missed that physical strength. Wines was out, remember? and But he's, he's put together a terrific year. I, you know, you, I'm glad you mentioned Wines because I, I think the other uh, significant thing here is, you know, when Port were really struggling, I, I reckon I said every week, their midfield is too thin. It too often comes down to what Boke and Wines do. Well, I guess the other good, really, the, the other really good thing out of this performance for them was, yeah, Boke was fantastic, 30 disposals. But uh, Connor Rosie starting to make his midfield presence felt a bit more. Riley Bonner, uh, you know, does that more off halfback. But he had a really good night for them as well. So um, Carl Amon, particularly good too. Now, he was dropped a few weeks ago and got a last-second reprieve. So... There's more of those ball-winning types coming to the party, and there's certainly uh, more potential goal kickers bobbing up to convert those greater opportunities. And uh, it doesn't take a lot necessarily for things to turn around. And since half-time of that game against Carlton, 
where they nearly mm. pulled off an amazing win, they really have turned their season around to the point where, gee, I, I don't know, I, I reckon at the moment you'd be tipping them to, to end up in the eight despite being 0-5 to start the season. What do you think? It's a fair effort if they do, yeah. And, um, you know, there's a couple of vulnerable uh, in there. I think there's two spots available in the eight. Um, so there'll be one of those sides pushing on. So um, just on that roll, so what, what's ahead for these two sides? Well, Bulldogs, uh, they've got a big Friday night game next Friday. In fact, next Friday, Friday the 13th, could be a nightmare. Uh, they have got Collingwood at Marvel Stadium, 7.50 p.m. Uh, Port, well, you don't like to say any game's an easy game, but Port Adelaide has a significantly more comfortable assignment, and uh, that is against North Melbourne. It's down yeah. at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, but uh, the Roos, wow, they're in a world of pain at the moment. So pretty good opportunity for Port to continue that resurgence and uh, potentially, well, they're one game outside the eight as we speak, uh, one game in a fair bit of percentage, it should be said. But, uh, boy, if they can at least move equal on points with one side in the eight, still got uh, a good two-thirds of a season to turn it around. It's been a pretty amazing comeback by them. Do you uh, agree? Plenty of time for them to tack back onto the main pack, Rowan. All right, so good win to Port in the first of the two Friday night games. And the other one was over in Perth. Friday night also saw a game in Perth at Optus Oval. It was between Boom Team Fremantle and, uh, well, what don't know what the opposite of Boom Team is. Boom but, and uh, Bust. Yeah, well, the Bust Team. Uh, North Melbourne, who are really struggling at the moment. Um, the form lines indicated this could be ugly and ugly it was with Fremantle ending up with a crushing 78-point win over the hapless Kangaroos who managed just three goals for the game. The final cool. scores, Fremantle 15-12, 102, defeating North Melbourne just three goals, 6-24. In fact, North Melbourne going goalless for the best part of three quarters. The goal kickers... Shared around by the Dockers, two to Banfield, two to Walters, two to Switkowski, and two to Amos making his debut. And didn't he have a score of happy family and friends to wish him on? And for North Melbourne, uh, the only multiple goal kicker, Cam Zerha with two. Well, um, Frio had some disruption to their routine during the week, Rob. Six players lost to health and safety yep. protocols, but... Uh, Good week for that to happen because North, like I said, in a world of pain, that was their sixth straight loss, their second last with a 1-7 record. And uh, keep saying it, the disturbing thing as much as the losses is the margins over the last month. And those margins now read 78, 50, 60 and 68 points. Freo had more than 400 disposals. They had uh, nearly... 100 more uncontested possessions. The inside 50 count, they more than doubled the rooster inside 50, 67 to 32. And North Melbourne's disposal efficiency, a very ordinary 66%. It went on and on, but this was just absolute domination. Five goals to none in the first quarter. 
eight goals to two by half time, and uh, really that made the second half for all intents and purposes. Or if you're uh, a bit silly or a, yeah. a former football all intensive purposes, <clears throat> which it isn't. Well, that's a pet hate of mine. Anyway, this was very, very one-sided and played out pretty much how you uh, might have thought, Rob. Yeah, it did really. Look, um, jumping all over the place here. Um, uh, it was interesting that north of the older, more experienced team. I You're know right. I, I know the Dockers lost 454 games wow. to COVID and injury. And um, it makes the performance three goals, six in, in an AFL game where you can only muster 46 tackles. Um, they got dominated in the clearances, 48 to 31. And that just raises my, um, you know, if you're going to preach development, you need guidance in development. You need off-field development expertise, teaching and training and guiding. But surely to goodness you need on-field. Um, and for, for Zach, Jack Zebel, the captain... Is the captain, Rowan? Yes, he is. To stand in a forward pocket and have two kicks to half time, without going onto the ball, not only to help the team, but to provide the so-called leadership and guidance, I think it's negligent. Mm. Um, Even if it's there, well, you and I discussed it last week, um, but isn't that denying a young player? Yeah, he doesn't dominate the proceedings. He goes in there for guidance, seven minutes a quarter. Uh, You know, so... That was disappointing. Um, no Tabena, no Lob. You summed it up. Four players with two goals each. That Schultz is a really good story. I did some home. I did some homework on him. Bendigo Pioneers boy. Um, Andy Collins rang a gentleman at Bendigo called uh, Brett Henderson, who I actually teach with at St Bernard College. And Andy Collins, who was at Williamstown, said, "Mate, I need a couple of kids. Have you got a couple to keep an eye on for me?" And Brett gave the the name, keep an eye on Lockie Schultz. So he's come through that system. I didn't realise he's 23 or 24. He's a very, very good footballer and another great story. So, you know, North, well, unlucky. Big loss was Mackay. He'd had eight intercept marks. So he was hanging in there for the Kangaroos in the last line of defence, but then went off injured. So um, I think you've summed it up pretty well, um, to be honest, Rowan. Oh, I, I haven't got a lot more to say um, other than the fact that um, this is a really well-rounded team, really yeah. good defensive system and a brilliant attacking team. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about because uh, I think Lockie Schultz is sort of symptomatic of the Dockers in the way he's now been around for a while and the development's been gradual. It hasn't been one of those. This is the thing with Freo, I think, and the reason why people like me have sort of struggled to – comprehend them now as being a strong team. It's caused that development under Justin Longmuir, now in his, what, third season as coach, has been very gradual. I don't think we've seen that many players go bang, you know, gee, this guy has come from nowhere and now he's a star. Um, But we've seen a lot of sort of incremental improvement in players, and I think Lockie Schultz is one of them. I think Brennan Cox is another one. Now, his his development might be a bit more of a... um, you know, in, in headlines or highlighted, if you like. I mean, his disposal seems to be a, be a heap better than it was. But they've got a lot of players who've just got incrementally better over the last two or three years. Schultz is a key one of them, and he's now a very important player for them. I think they've always had a strong defensive 
ethos and and really i mean credit where it's due you've got you know that is something that was instilled by ross Lyon, and i think it's still there's enough players who played under him still there that is still serving them well but longmuir has enshrined that if you like and protected that and then he's what they've added to it is more attacking flair i think a uh, greater preparedness to move the ball quickly and take a, a, a little more risk with their ball movement um, and then the uh, the improvement of individuals. So uh, Sean Darcy, for example, a really good ruckman now, and and he was terrific for them. Um, Will Brody, great pickup for them. He had 37 disposals in this game. He's been an absolute winner for them. The pickup of Geelong's Jordan Clark. Now, you know, he was struggling for a game with the Cats. I've always liked Jordan Clark, though. I reckon his first season with Geelong, he really showed something. And I thought, gee, he, he can give him something. And he has given him something. A guy like Josh Tracy, you know, he um, oh, he was yeah. among their best. So they've got depth now. They've got a bit of flair as well. And there's just something a bit different about them. They've got a bit of X factor, but they've, they're a very strong defensively sound team. And I think not only is this helping them sort of uh, take people by surprise in terms of where they are on the ladder, I think it stands to serve them very well uh, come the final series. They are the number one defensive side in the competition at the moment, even more so than Melbourne, uh, which hasn't even lost a game. And that's a pretty significant achievement, I reckon, don't you? If they can hold that throughout, the, they can be reasonably consistent of that. Every side's going to have ups and downs. But if they can hold that defensive system strong, even when they have bad days, they're going to be right in games, Ron. It's a great... Uh, it's something really good to to have going to the finals. And, and, and look, we're not here to pot North Melbourne. We make observations like the people in the stands because we are one. You know, you hear David Noble talk about we are generally wanting to score. We are a preferable attacking team, but their defence, their team defence is woeful. So you've either concentrate on one or the other at the moment and get one or the other right, Rowan. Yeah, no, fair point. They're a bit, uh, they're a bit hard to sort of define in terms of what they're trying to do or, or where they're headed. So, uh, yep, something needs to turn around there pretty quickly. Not going to be easy for them. Like I said, they next week they are playing Saturday afternoon at two ten at Blundstone Arena in Hobart, their second home venue. That is up against the greatly improved Port Adelaide. Fremantle, meanwhile, well, not meanwhile because it's a different time, but Sunday afternoon. They will be headed to Metricon Stadium to take on the Gold Coast, who all of a sudden are looking a tougher proposition because of a win we're going to talk about very shortly. In fact, really shortly. Well, here's a game that had an old worldy feel about it. Saturday afternoon, the MCG, 1.45pm, Richmond taking on Collingwood. Uh, it appealed uh, to lovers of old-style footy. And, uh, well, Saturday afternoon, the broadcasters don't like it as a time slot, but it seems like the public do. And the response, overwhelming. 64,500 people turning up to the MCG to watch the Tigers and the Pies go at it. And they were given a pretty entertaining game for their trouble, but it was a game, in the end, won pretty comfortably by Richmond, 17-11, 113-27-point victors over the Pies, 12-14, 86. The goals, six 
to Tom Lynch. That's 13 for him now in the last two games. Two goals to that man, Dustin Martin, who made, well, an even emotional return, one could say. The Tiger fans certainly cheered uproariously his every move. Two goals to Jack Rewalt, two to Shea Bolton, singles the rest for the Magpies. Three to Ginevan, that little live wire who's uh, so good at getting under the skins of so many defenders and fans, it must be said. Two to Majacek, two to Hoskin Elliott, and two to Henry. Well, the Tigers four goals up by half time, and that was an advantage they largely maintained. Four goals to three in the third quarter and four goals each in the last quarter. Uh, and this was after a couple of uh, late changes by the Tigers too. Dion Prestia and Nick Foston, both forced out by illness. Uh, and all of a sudden, things looking a lot happier for the Richmond Football Club, Shorey. They have levelled the win-loss ledger at four apiece um, and uh, eased up a bit towards the end. But uh, this was a game they led by as much as 47 points. Early in the last quarter, their forwards are starting to fire. They've got the big names back. Dusty will be a lot better for the run. Starting to look pretty uh, ominous for the Tigers, Shuri. Yes, and it followed a bit of a trend in the modern game. Rowan sides getting out to 40, 45, 55 points and then uh, then, um, not falling in, but cruising in with a 30-point win. And... uh, so I always look at the stage of the game when there was dominance. And that was on the back of uh, your man returning, or two of you, particularly Lambert coming back in, Martin. And now they're really complementing the, the significant improvement, despite the fact that he was a very good player. Uh, Bolton, Pickett's back into that lineup, And Short and Graham are doing really good things when all those blokes were out. So all of a sudden they've gone from question marks in the midfield to a very deep midfield, still with Prestia to come back into that midfield. Can I just add a couple of things to that? Because I think you're the boss. Well, of course you can. (laughs) I'll just be polite. Uh, No, these are really significant. I thought Martin coming back in and Lynch being in such red hot form allowed them to send Noah Bolter back to defense where I thought he was absolutely outstanding you know the other trademark of Richmond at their best over the last few years, which went missing last year, and there were reasons for that, but it's that relentless, um, hungry forward line pressure. And boy, did they get a great taste of that from Morris Rioli Jr. And boy, that was exciting, watching him mow down a couple of... uh, In fact, the moment where he uh, caught up with young Nick Dacos. So Rioli and Dacos doing battle on the MCG. Fantastic. Um, It was. It it really was a great moment. But uh, just structurally, you know, it's it's one thing to have those big names back in the mix, but it's what they allow Damien Hardwick to do with his structure. And their defence has been a a bit of an issue, but you've got Grimes back there. You've got Bolton now back in defence. You've got that forward line pressure being exerted, locking the ball in that forward 50. And you've got Lynch, Rewalt, and uh, Martin potentially playing more as a forward. This is back pretty close to the sort of Richmond we were watching run around in 2020. And we all know how that one finished. Yeah, it's been a bit about Richmond. But uh, anyway, look, the Tigers were out Elliot Grundy roughhead. So 
Um, I want to talk about Roughhead and I want to talk about more because it is a topic of conversation, been uh, highly debated. Uh, Moore is a centre-half back. He's not a full-back. He, he's not Mick Martin or Danny Frawley. He doesn't annoy, scrape, scrap, knee, uh, wipe his nose on the back of opposition jumpers, anything like. He's a very good reader of the play. Um, and, and he takes his chances. I watched him against Essendon. He probably starts four to five metres behind his opponent because he backs his pace and his capacity to read the play. Um, but he's been found out. They need to get Roughhead back into the full-back position. They need to move more out so that his combination with Jeremy Howe can be the more modern game, play-off-your-man reading. But talk about reading. He read the play real bad. And uh, the criticism is justified, but it can be solved. But it, they will rely on Roughhead releasing more. Well, where do we think Collingwood are at? I mean... Oh. Let, let, well, well, I mean, that's weren't right. they eight? They were eight before this game, weren't they? Before Richmond tipped them. Well, my my point here is, and again, I'm dumping myself in it here, but I had Collingwood as the wooden spooner for this season. Well, even now, they are just outside the eight on percentage, uh, with a, a win loss record of four four. And I reckon there wouldn't be too many, if any, Collingwood supporters who, if you'd said to them at the start of March your side will get to the end of round eight and be 4-4, wouldn't have been more than happy to take that scoreline because I think even, you know, having been found a bit short against real quality opposition, they are ahead of where most people thought they'd be at this moment, don't you think? I, I Yeah, I probably got them one game ahead. Um, what are they, 4-4? Yeah, I probably had them 3-5, but, you know, tacking on to that, Pack between eight, nine, ten, eleven in that mix. So I, I, I think they're they're done quite well. They met a resurgent team that gave us a reminder of of the past. And for the for the independent viewers like us, uh, hopefully it's a a little bit of a picture in the future because a good, strong, settled Richmond side um, can make this uh, this run into September more than interesting given the fact that most pundits think it's well and truly over, which, of course, it's not. Well, of course it's not. And, you know, we, we, we probably but, thought but it Rowan, would... who's, you know, head, you know, you've been in the industry 40 years, so the headline is, who's going to beat Melbourne? Yeah. Well, and it's... I'd, like, I'd like Richmond to be playing them right now, to be quite honest. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean we could discuss this till the cows come. It's complete rubbish, because, and the main reason it's rubbish is because we don't have a first-past-the-post system. We have a final series. Richmond were no less dominant in 2018 than Melbourne are now. And uh, Richmond had a bad half in a preliminary final and didn't even get to play off for a premiership. So you've just got to stumble at the wrong time. doesn't matter how good you are. And Summed it up beautifully. Yeah, a, well. A, a, a stumble for a half or a quarter and you're out. See yep, you later. Yep, and you can spend six months talking about who's going to beat them and then you look stupid. Yep. But, uh, yeah, well, that's the media. Let's What's next week, mate? Got a couple of days to talk about the media if you want. Well, two big games for these two sides. The Collingwood Football Club have Western Bulldogs. On oh, Friday gee. night at Marvel Stadium, big game for both are, are these the Bulldogs. Sides. A game behind them, Rowan. Sorry, the Bulldogs at the moment are uh, indeed. You're right; they are a game behind the Pies in tenth spot. Collingwood ninth, 
Bulldogs 10th, mm. uh, potentially slipping two games outside the eight, the Doggies, if they don't win that one. So that can is I a... say eight-point game, please? Am uh, I allowed you... to say that? Absolutely, you can. I'll Thank keep, you. I'll keep Good. a count of how many of these we have. <laughs> During the year, we could end up with a lot of match points if we have a lot of eight-point eight games. But that is a big game. What the Tigers got? 7.50 p.m. Friday night. The Tigers have got the Hawks on Saturday mm. afternoon at the MCG, 1.45 p.m. Of course, the chastened Hawks uh, because of a bit of a turn-up that happened on Saturday night, which we'll be getting to very shortly, but not before we talk about this game. Well, I did mention off the top a couple of upsets uh, in round eight. Well, this was certainly one of them, although history would suggest less of an upset. Interesting. And we'll talk about the reasons for that. But I'm speaking of Gold Coast. Uh, terrific 14-point win over Sydney at the SCG. The final scores, Gold Coast, 10, 15, 75, 14-point winners over the Swans. A very inaccurate 8, 13, 61. The goal kickers, just two multiple goal kickers in this entire game, and that was Isaac Rankin, who had two, and Levi Casbolt, who kicked uh, the final goal of this game and the one that sealed the deal. Levi Casbolt also with two goals, and the other uh, 14 goals in the game by either side, all kicked by individuals. Well, Gold Coast, they led from go to woe. Uh, level at three-quarter time, and you're thinking, well, oh, gee, the Swans probably going to mow them down. Not to be, though. The Suns added another three in the last quarter whilst keeping the Swans goalless. And this is becoming a bit of a habit. Remarkably, this was Gold Coast's third win in their last four appearances against the Swans at the venue. What is it about the Swans that Gold Coast like? Well, I suspect a big factor, Rob, is uh, Stuart Jew, who, of course, was a long-time assistant coach to John Longmire, very aware of Longmire's likes and dislikes as a coach. And sure, the personnel is now pretty different to when he was there, but I still think that has to be a factor and why the Suns now appear to have the wood over the Sydney Swans. What do you think? I think it's justified. There's no doubt about that. He will know. Horse wouldn't have changed a lot. He would have adapted, but he wouldn't change his basic philosophy and the way the Swans tra uh, train and play. Look, uh, we had a discussion about this last week. In my opinion, uh, this has been coming. Um, uh, Gold Coast uh, haven't had the sophistication with their ball movement but they've had the numbers and they've had the effort. They're the second highest team inside 50 in the competition. And against Sydney, they had 55 inside 50s to 41. That is a territorial domination mm. and we can't just wipe it aside. They had a fullback in Sam Collins who held Lance Franklin to 11 possessions. They're getting great meal support from an improved Fiorini. Ellis was good, Swallow was good, Miller's great, and they kept Heaney and Parker very quiet. Now, I didn't see closely enough if there were legitimate tags, but but to follow up on your point, there's no doubt at all that you knew the importance of Heaney and Parker. Like, it's not rocket science when I say that, 
But the fact that they were very, very quiet, given they've had great years, give you an indication of the work that you put into them. The start of the last quarter, yeah, we're sitting there watching. Ah, oh, here they come. But this is the improvement of the Gold Coast. And I'm not a big rap for them. And I'm certainly not a big rap for their organisation. And I'm certainly, certainly not a big rap for their president. But credit where is due on the ground. They started the last quarter when we thought, oh, swans are coming to bust it open. In the first 10 minutes run, they had 94% of territory and only kicked one goal too. The Swans are lucky that there was a lot of wastage from the Gold Coast, and they absolutely deserve this win. Yeah, no, really good point. I think that is the single biggest difference about Gold Coast now compared to even last year, isn't it? It's just that greater resilience. You now feel that, um, yeah, I mean, they gave up a four-goal lead, and the Swans are drawn level by three-quarter time. Now, you'd, you'd reckon 99 times out of 100, the inevitable upshot of that is that the Swans end up winning the game. But like you say, the, the Suns knew that moment had arrived. They knew they had to be at their very best at the start of that last quarter. And if not converting it on the scoreboard, they're at least able to have a bit of a mortgage on possession, particularly around the contest. And I think those examples of uh, you know Matt Rao, Took Miller, uh, David Swallow, all really important for the Suns in um, keeping them, well, keeping their noses in front and uh, giving them a, a, a real, not just a sniff of victory, but in the end, giving them a victory. And uh, should say too, and we all love good news stories, but a, a terrific good news story in this one, and that was the return of oh, Gold yeah. Coast key defender Rory Thompson playing his first AFL game in 1,379 wow. days. Well, I thought you were going to say Paddy McCartan. No, uh, 1,379 days, which my wow. rudimentary grasp on maths tells me is very, very close to four years. Now, uh, not wow. huge returns to Thompson, but just to see him out there was fantastic after uh, what he's been through, back-to-back ACL injuries. He's had a nightmare. It's sort of surprising in a way he's been kept on the list, but fantastic to see him back in the Suns uh, jumper. He's been there through the hard times. Hopefully he can cash in on some better times for them. Where are they on the ladder, Rowan? Sorry, you're going to do... Sorry. You've got to stop you... asking me these questions. Oh, well, notice. No, no, I've got it there. I've got it but there. But you're the ultimate professional. I just thought this would be <laughs> water off a duck's back to you. It is. I've got it there. They are in 13th spot at three wins and five losses. But okay. uh, they're in pretty good company. That puts them on level terms <laughs> uh, with the likes of the Western Bulldogs and Port Adelaide, two preliminary finalists from last okay. year. And, and it also puts them just a game outside the top eight. So uh, a great chance for them to build on that momentum. Great challenge for them, actually, next week at Metricon Stadium, Sunday afternoon, yeah. 1.40 p.m. Gold Coast taking on the second team on the AFL ladder, oh. and that is Fremantle. So that is a game uh, there. Well, previously, you might have thought, well, they're no chance. They've got to minimise damage. They should be going into this game, giving themselves every chance of pulling off a surprise win. A, it's at home, and B, they've got this wonderful uh, road victory against the Swans to cash in on. And as far as the Swans go, Rob, they've got a Saturday night clash at home, third 
SCG game in a row for them, 7.25pm against Essendon, who uh, also um, are perhaps in some ways a different proposition to what they might have seen just 24 hours ago after a uh, surprise result we'll talk about very shortly. But interesting challenges ahead for both the Swans and the Suns next week. So that was the two Saturday afternoon games. Let's talk about Saturday Twilight. Saturday Twilight at Monica Oval in Canberra saw a rematch, if you like, of last year's semi-final between GWS and Geelong. And uh, the result, I'm going to say it again, for all intents and purposes, or for the former footballers among you, the all intensive purposes was, <laughs> I should doubt, it's very disrespectful, a very comfortable win to the Cats by 53 points, no less. The final scores, Geelong 12, 16, 88, defeating GWS, a miserable 4, 11, 35. The goal kickers for the Cats, that man, Jeremy Cameron, five goals against his old team. Gee, that would have hurt. Three goals to Tyson Stengel, who's really um, proving... Uh, Geelong's gamble, if you like, on picking him up, uh, very justified. He's been good for them. Singles, the rest, and for GWS, well, just four goals and just the one multiple goal kicker that was Toby Green with a couple. I gotta say, I found the uh, how this one played out fairly predictable, Rob. GWS, well, they have their moments, don't they? But um, consistency seems to be a bit of an issue. They were pretty disappointing, and uh, it all started in the middle. Uh, really strong game from the Cats' Mitch Duncan and 16 disposals in the first term alone, but uh, that really set them up, and they had a potent-looking potent forward line where Jeremy Cameron cashed in with five goals. It was four goals to two at quarter time, six goals to three at half time, eight goals to three at three-quarter time, and then the Cats putting on another four for good measure in the last to the Giants' solitary goal. They are now at 2-6 GWS and uh, in a world of pain, looking pretty unlikely, you'd think, to be backing up for another finals appearance, Rob. Um, I'm not speechless, but um, I thought you were pretty easy of them. 4-11 in a Canberra night in a game, well, the conditions were pretty good. I gave them a huge chance based on the depth of their midfield. I'm, I'm losing trust very quickly in this team, as are you. Tar um, Kelly, only one scoring involvement. Taranto only had three. What, what was Whitfield, Ward, um, Toby Green? Uh, all these names that come to mind in this team, mate, they were demolished. This is their second home game, second home ground. Fifty-three points against a Geelong side coming up a loss at home. You would have given them some chance to make this a really competitive game, not a nine-goal thrashing. Um, they had twenty-eight points kicked against them from clearances and fifty-two points from turnovers. They were a lazy side. Geelong spread them. They had plus twenty-one uncontested. Uh, ball with their running and and either physically and I'm I'm tending to think it's more mentally and structurally um, GWS either couldn't or didn't want to run with them 
What, what about that week to, well, not even week to week inconsistency, but I'm just having a look at their score lines, right? So against Frio, you know, they lost that by 30 plus points. They only kicked eight goals. The next week, they were terrible against Melbourne, lost by 67 points. They only kicked seven goals. Against St Kilda, um, another game in Canberra, they only kicked eight goals. Now, they turned it on last week against the Crows, uh, and the Crows definitely got ahead of themselves last week and slammed on 17 goals. So all of a sudden, you're looking at them thinking, gee, they have got some capable forwards up there. But it was just back to more of the same in this game, and they end up with just four goals. Now, that's not good enough. And that happens too often. Their, their highs are far too regularly interspersed with some pretty ordinary lows. They're, um, they're in a bit of strife. And that's not in the short term of their ladder position now. If they can't... Who, who, oh, I'll give you 30 seconds to find out who they're playing, Ron. I'll just keep talking. No, I don't like need 30 Mitch seconds. No, I don't need 30 seconds. Yep. They have got... I don't know who they're going to back up against. Well, I'm about to tell you. They've got Carlton at Giant Stadium next Sunday afternoon, 3.20pm. Mm, okay, then. Um, they, they just could not apply any pressure at all across the ground. Um, Geelong got an early five goals, 4-34 from their set up out of defence. They just cruised out of defence, switched the ball, moved it at the pace, whatever pace they wanted to do. Uh, no, I'm not buying it. Four goals, 11. I've got very, very little to say um, because this was a non-competitive effort. And generally here we try and look at both sides of the ledger. There isn't a positive side of the ledger on this performance. I've got, I've got to say, talking about the Cats too, I mean, it sounds a bit weird. You're looking at a 53-point winning margin and that should give you plenty to enthuse about. But I'm not sure I'm reading that much into this performance by Geelong. And for one important reason, I reckon they've worked pretty hard to try to quicken their ball movement up this season and try to get a bit more zip about the way they play footy. And I reckon in this game, they went back to a slower, more methodical deliberate sort of build-up. And there were good reasons for that because they needed to win. But they were doing it against a side you can get away with doing that against because they beat them pretty much exactly the same way in that semi-final last year. So Chris Scott knows that they can revert to that sort of slower, more cautious, methodical style of game. Um, And against GWS, it's good enough to win. Is it good enough to win against the likes of Melbourne and Brisbane? I don't think it is. Um, and you know, no, and no, I, I, no. Know, I know mm. they did beat Brisbane down at home, but not by a lot. It was only 10 points. But that's why I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, it's good for Geelong. They get the points. They get a bit of confidence maybe. Cameron kicks five. Another good game from Stengel. It's not like there's no pluses out of it. But as a guide to their prospects as a, a, a potential premier, not sure I'm reading too much into this result. What do you think? Well, uh, the reading the, in the result that I thought, if you look to your left, you will see a tip by me that tipped GWS with re- reasonable confidence with Geelong travelling up there, GWS with everything to play for and and turn up that performance. So, how? what do you mean look to my left? I'm looking at a desk lamp, a mirror... No. You've got, our tip, you, you've got our tips for last week on a bit of paper right to your left there, haven't you? Don't you want to hear me say what I've got to my left? Yeah, righto. I've got my phone, I've got a yeah. desk lamp, I've got a mirror, and I've got a framed and autographed 
shot of Michael Wong and Gavin Wanganeen after the 1993 grand final. No, no. <laughs> Good win that's by Geelong because um, I expected a hell of a lot more from GWS. So I'm giving the Cats a big tick to go up there in the back of Mitch Duncan, a dominant performance from their midfield and the capacity to just make the GWS lose interest very, very quickly in working. So it's a bit of a spray today for GWS. Yeah, and I think they're just about shot to ribbons as far as the finals go. Like I say, big challenge for them next week up against Carlton, who are flying at the moment. As for the Cats, well, interesting uh, matchup for them. They have got St Kilda at Marvel Stadium, another Saturday twilight slot, 4.35pm. Uh, not always at their best at Marvel Stadium, the Cats, and uh, I've said that without the record in front of me, so I could look like a goose, but that's how it feels. <laughs> it's um, on that list to your left. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, the, myth, the <laughs> mythical list. Uh, I will look that up shortly, however. What do you use that mirror for, Rowan? You know what? I'm, I'm going to be totally honest here. I won this mirror for <laughs> winning the radio show Off the Benches third person self-congratulator award <laughs> i remember that <laughs> of 2016 and the prize was a mirror and i won it and that was because of my um relentless capacity to plug myself and even refer to myself in the third person so uh it Off was the a bench who was that uh craig hutchison and william pickering and dr that's Turf. right that's right in the and, morning yeah. yes and i controversially handed the award back because uh, i'd actually been trying to win it Unlike just about everyone else. <laughs> so, uh, yes, funny, funny stories, uh, which I'll elaborate on at That's a more good. appropriate stage. All right, that is Saturday Twilight. Let's talk about uh, the two games on Saturday evening. Well, here's a great rivalry. Essendon and Hawthorne, they met again on Saturday evening. Uh, circumstances uh, pretty tough. For both teams, Hawthorne, of course, uh, going through a bit of a rebuilding slash transitional uh, time in their history under a new coach in Sam Mitchell and Essendon. Well, what was the finals appearance last year has been an absolute nightmare so far in 2022. Injuries to key players, poor form, bit of confusion about the sort of footy they're playing. And then this week, as if all that wasn't bad enough, five Late changes thanks to a virus which swept through the club. And uh, boy, did that cost them some uh, important players. It cost them Ridley, it cost them Kelly, Guelphy, Waterman and Durham. They were replaced by Bradenham, Kane Baldwin, Brandon Zerk Thatcher, Aaron Francis, Devin Smith and Alistair Ward. No, not that one. He's in his 80s, but uh, a new version of Alistair Ward, who was the medical sub. So uh, not much expectation of the Bombers, but they came home with a rush, a massive eight goals to one final quarter. Bit of parallels with the 1984 grand final, Rob, gave Essendon a stunning 27-point win. The final scores, Essendon 16-12, 108, defeating the Hawks 11 15, 81. The goal kickers, six to big two-metre Peter Wright. Six goals to the big man, three of them coming in a terrific final term. Two to Nick Martin. What a debut season. He's having rewarded with a contract extension. And two to Aaron Francis for the Hawks. 
two to Gunston, two to Kaczynski, and two to replacement Ruckman, Max Lynch. Well, just an amazing turnaround, Rob. Uh, the Hawks, to me, they were never in front by a lot, but did appear to be doing it reasonably easy, I thought, even to three-quarter time. But, uh, wow, did Essendon come home with a rush in that last quarter? Eight goals, too. Uh, breathtaking stuff, and didn't the fans love it? Um, I think you summed it up. Always appeared in control, but never a significant leave. Um, I've seen this happen before, um, and I'll take you back to... We're talking about Essendon. I'll take you back to a game in 1999. Not the game, but another game where Carl, we played Carlton. They lost Kutafidis, they lost Bradley, and they lost... It might have been Ratton just before the game. And um, we've got to be carried away with our ability to beat them, and they beat us. So I've seen this happen before. Uh, there, there's a... Um, there's another checkpoint for this in the 2002, we ran out of players and that we had to play Rob Forster Knight in a backup game after he'd already played in the VFL seconds. So um, there's similar scenarios. The two teams were the same. I thought Hawthorne were a little bit ahead of themselves. I think this affected them more than it did Essendon. If you get the message coming down that Essendon have lost five players, of which a couple of them are their very good backs, you're going to get a little bit of a a confidence boost. And it looked like that early. Hawthorne on the back of a very good player in Jai Newcomb and, and a very impressive rucking performance against Draper by Lynch got well on top. And, it, and they just looked like they had more talent. But Essendon had Essendon had the hang on Essendon had the persistence and never at any stage went away and that was on the back early of sensational performances desperation for performance by Laverty and Redmond in the back half. Well, I think um, the sort of nothing to lose factor was by the same token a, a big plus for Essendon too, and I think it sort of reflected in the brand of footy they played. I mean, it was like the shackles came off a bit, particularly in that last quarter. And all of a sudden, almost for the first time all season, you were seeing Essendon players running past, looking for that overlap handball, creating some run, running through the corridor rather than running around in circles, giving off handballs to players who were flat-footed. Kicking or the pressure. ball to the top of the goal square. Yeah. Kick the ball to the top of the goal square. And as Lou Richards used to say, you never know your luck in a big city. Put well, it there and see what happens. Yeah, well, anyway. it was it was more positive. Um, it, it was it it just it fed off itself, and you could see as the goals started coming, Essendon going, "Hang on, we're right in this. Hang on, we're a real chance to win this." And then in the end, it was like, "If we win this, it's going to be not just any old win. This is going to be a really important win." And I guess, and Ben Rutten did mention this post game. Um, you know, this is a great opportunity for them to use this, to learn from it, to use this as a template for the sort of commitment and desperation and energy levels that you need every single week. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with, with an Essendon leaning here, that is what I'd be hoping. Look, Hawthorne, um, I think you're right. I think they did get a, a bit ahead of themselves and, been a bit of a reality check for them recent times, hasn't it? I mean, they certainly started a season 
full of running and I think surprised a few. But uh, the bottom line now is they have lost uh, five of their last six games. Admittedly, there's a, a good win over Geelong in the middle of that mix, but they've lost to uh, the Blues. They've lost to St Kilda by 69 points, uh, smashed by Sydney 41 points and giving up a nine-goal last quarter. So they're, they're not running out games well. What, what game was that, Rowan? Sorry. Sydney, the, Sydney kicked nine goals in the last and Essen, quarter. And they've had 17 kicked in them in two last quarters. Okay. Uh, there's been others too. I think... Uh, well, I no, that, to... well that's, that'll do as a thumbnail sketch for yeah. sure. Well, so that is an issue for them. Um, and what was a really promising start to the season has turned a bit. So a bit of work there for Sam Mitchell to do. Uh, can the Bombers still revive their season? They're two and six. I keep thinking back to 2018. They were uh, two and six uh, at that point of that season and uh, it was certainly a bit of a disaster at that point. They improved a fair bit from there, but... They've got to be extraordinary, Rowan. I don't think so at all. I think um, maybe this was a band-aid. I love your analogy about uh, there's no pressure. They're they're not good when there's expectation on pressure. This was a get-out-of-jail card, which in a way is a bit of a slap in the face. Let, let's perform when no one gives us a chance of performing. Now, go up to Sydney next week, then you can back up against Richmond in the dream time, and then you can go over to Port, Port Adelaide, you'll get your players back, and then you've got the bye. So come and talk to us after that. I know I'm being hard, but this was a free hit, a get-out-of-jail card, free them up, and against a tiring Hawthorne without a Ruckman, Draper took over. They had class players in Perkins and um, Martin. And, of course, McGrath moves back to halfback and a big kick to Corbell. So while a wonderful win, there's work to do before the correct assessment at the bye. No, I think I think that's an outstanding point. And those next three weeks are critical. Because of this result, there will be more expectation. It's got to be backed up. And, uh, you know, what at 2-6 now, well, it's... It's hardly flash, is it? But uh, people now looking at the effort put in, thinking, well, there is some sort of future. But they lose the next three, and you go to the bye. Two wins, nine losses. and uh, Mate, there's hit. going to be six changes. Six blokes are going to come into that side. That, that to me, is uh, – that's pressure. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. You know, and I mean, it's that, good. I reckon it's good for them. The, anyway. point, the point I'm making is they lose all those three games. They'll go to the bye two and nine, and any momentum or excitement surrounding this game will be a very dim and distant memory, let me tell you. So, I love the fact that there's that sort of pressure on them because um, um, that's what they need. That's what they need as a club. Well, uh, maybe the Hawks need a bit too because they've been given a bit of a free pass in terms of uh, redevelopment, but uh, been a pretty disappointing month or so for them. They have got Richmond next oh. Saturday afternoon, 1.45pm at the MCG. And as we said before, Essendon have got Sydney at the SCG. And uh, that one is Saturday evening. The SCG certainly hasn't been a happy hunting ground for the Bombers. So big test for both those teams after this game. So that was the Saturday evening game in Melbourne. Uh, there was one also up at the Gabba. And uh, wow, that was shaping as a horror show. 
Well, what else could go wrong for West Coast in season 2022? Uh, not much, fair to say, uh, now. Without their coach, Adam Simpson, health and safety protocols have just ripped through this team. I think it was 22 players available to work oh, with. Sorry, um, mate. I thought you were going to say there was 22 in the nightclub. Well, there goodness, was goodness me. quite a few in the nightclub. Certainly uh, not a situation in which you'd <laughs> want to be uh, slipping up on the disciplinary front. So everything going wrong for the Eagles. And then, of course, they come up against a red-hot Brisbane at the Gabba. Our advice was uh, for parents not to allow their children to watch this game. It needed to be X-rated. Uh, how did it turn out? Well, funny because the margin in the end was 75 points but for some reason I'm thinking that wasn't that impressive by Brisbane and maybe the Eagles didn't do too well, badly. It was because you tipped it by 78 and I you tipped by 75 and I tipped by 78. Yeah but I, I did so on the basis that often uh, when you're looking at a game and you think it could be anything could be over 100 points it doesn't work out like that. The final scores Brisbane 16-9 105, defeating West Coast, 4-6-30. The goal kickers, uh, plenty individually for the Lions. Again, nine individual goal kickers. Four to Hugh McLuggage. Pretty sure that was a personal best for him. Personal best game. Brilliant game. Four to Charlie Cameron and two to Rayner. Uh, for the Eagles, while well, one man stood tall for them, they only kicked four goals and three of them were kicked by Liam Flying Ryan, uh, Jack Darling, the other one for them. Injury concern for Brisbane McStay mm. with an ankle. So they'll be uh, a bit anxious about that one. Although having said that, they have got Eric Hibwood about to make a comeback. But uh, this was a game Brisbane simply were never going to lose. Had to win, but it had to win by a lot for it to be seen as a credible win. I reckon 75 points is probably about the minimum margin in which you could say this was a good win by them. How do you say it? Well, 68 inside 50s to 33, probably regulation. The main concern is in the camp with Danaher out for four to six, uh, building up the shoulder strength and McStay. We don't know the, the, you know, there's a big decision to be made whether they bring in Hipwood or they keep going with McInerney and Payne as the pinch-hitting defenders and just rely on this multi-talented uh, group of Cameron, McCarthy, McCluggage, Rayner, etc., to um, kick the, uh, the bulk of their goals. And if the big blokes aren't working, there's nothing wrong at all with playing a team of 5'11 forwards. And it'll just take some time um, to get these blokes back They'll want to go into the finals in 14 weeks, mind you, 14 or 15, with McStay, Danaher and Hipwood. They'll be the first three magnets on the board and then they'll rotate the smalls about them. So injuries are a worry for them, but um, I, I think they'll get through. Uh, I reckon they've got the Crows next week, so uh, they should be able to manufacture a win there. Um, they're down... They're down only in one area, and that's their tall forwards. Every part of their team, including McCluggage and Zorko and their midfield. Like four weeks ago, Mitch Robinson played a blinder of a game. He, he, he's over at Coburg this week. 
So they've got enormous depth through their midfield and with McCluggage really coming into form, Raynor back this year from that injury, um, they'll get through what is an awkward period with their with their tall players. Uh, just a, a couple more points on West Coast. Um, uh, shout out to a couple of old stages, Jeremy McGovern. He was uh, great. 21 disposals, 12 intercepts. Shannon oh. Hearn, too, the uh, 35-year-old Shannon Hearn. He had 27 disposals. And, uh, look, frankly, their defence was under bombardment, as is obvious by the 68 inside 50. So they had a fair bit of mopping up to oh, do those yeah. two. Uh, and they did it pretty well. Ryan, three goals out of uh, four. And I uh, didn't mention this, but uh, Brisbane's winning margin... Um, padded somewhat by a seven-goal final quarter. And at three-quarter time, uh, they were, in fact, only four, only, but 41 points up, nine goals, seven to three, two. Nine, seven mm. in three quarters by We got Brisbane. a lot of rain, didn't we? Got a lot uh, of rain. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Not nine goals in three quarters against yeah. the side this undermanned. Not necessarily an outstanding effort, but, you know, you can't look at 100,000 uh, $100, bucks all the time and Brisbane certainly didn't do that in this game. Nevertheless, got the job done. Uh, prolific ball winners too also. Lockie Neal, 30 disposals. Dane Zorko, 26 disposals. And Daniel Rich, 28 disposals. Uh, the upshot there is Brisbane bowling along pretty well in third spot on the ladder and West Coast. Uh, having an absolute nightmare. Um, what are West Coast going to do for the rest of this season? Because they've got some major long-term issues. Well, they've got the debate about bringing blokes back as soon as they're ready. They brought Chewy back. He's done a hamstring again. Um, they'll filter team blokes in and th they will aim to have a really good back half. Uh, well, the best they can. Um, Nat Nui, sorry, I haven't got the figures in front of him when he's back. Obviously, they got uh, decimated. They're getting decimated in the ruck. Um, there's a story there that will be written, and they sold the farm for Tim Kelly, um, and I mean a bloody big farm, mm. not just not just a Dylan Shield farm of a couple of pigs. They 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 sold um, South Bannockburn to get this bloke, <laughs> and um, that's been a miss. And why cost, why South Bannockburn? Oh, because I'm thinking of farm areas in the Geelong region <laughs> okay. where Tim Kelly came from. Right. That's all. Just my just my weird logic. Um, anyway, I don't want to tip a bucket on him. It's hard enough for their club the way they're going. And probably uh, they've probably got more issues. Uh, Trevor Nisbet's facing more issues with this reluctance to toe the line when the team down the road is going out of their way to protect look after each other, stay isolated. Um, they're nearly, Fremantle are nearly doing circle work with one bloke, Rowan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, fair point. Uh, well, they've got more immediate concerns too than that, Rob. And What uh, would that be, Rowan? Well, How could you... there be something worse? Okay, I'll give it to you. Who do you, reckon yes? they're, who do you reckon they're playing next week? Well, the only possible, I haven't got it in front of me, the only possible worst-case scenario, they play Brisbane in Brisbane, 
I reckon they're playing Melbourne, are they? They are playing Melbourne. Oh, oh, whereabouts? <laughs> and, well, they're playing them at Optus Stadium, but uh, oh. given that that is Is that venue, where Melbourne won the premiership role? Correct. So <laughs> I was going to say, it might as well be Melbourne's home venue. <laughs> So oh, that is yeah. uh, the final game of round nine, actually. Right West on. Coast taking on Melbourne at Optus Stadium. Sorry, folks. We, we, try and, we try and do something, but sometimes we run into a game that uh, doesn't give us... Nothing bounces back out of the microphones, does it, Ron? Not really. As for the Lions, they take on Adelaide at Adelaide Oval next Saturday night at 7.40pm. Mm. So that was the Saturday card, Mother's Day dawned, and just two games on Mother's Day. Let's have a chat about them. The first game on Sunday of Round 8 was Melbourne up against St Kilda at the MCG. Melbourne uh, just doing enough last week against Hawthorne. St Kilda, of course, a bit of a heartbreaker. Sold, speaking about selling the farm, or they uh, sold off a home game. Uh, to play Port Adelaide and Cairns, led that one nearly the whole game until literally the last few seconds and lost by a point. Uh, could be a costly defeat. How are they going to come up after what was a real wet weather slog? Uh, the answer is not that well because this was a comfortable win to Melbourne, uh, but not just about St Kilda. I think uh, hats off to Melbourne. This was as good a performance as they've put in so far this season, not bad seeing they're undefeated. Final scores, Melbourne, 14 goals, 9, 93. Defeating the Saints, 8 goals, 7, 55. The goal kickers, 3 to Brown, 3 to Pickett, 2 to Harms, 2 to Tom McDonald in his 200th game, singles the rest. And for the Saints, 2 to Big Max King, 2 to Rowan Marshall, singles the rest for the Saints. But the riding on the wall pretty early in this one, Rob. In fact, uh, Melbourne burst out of the blocks with four goals whilst holding the Saints goalless in that first quarter. And it got worse from there because shortly before halftime, it was nine goals to just one. The Saints rallied from there. In fact, from that moment, they won the rest of the game. But if you're down nine goals to one, that's a moot point because the game is it's absolutely over. done and dusted. What did you make of this one? Well, I found the start intriguing and, um, you know, we'd, I don't think they backed themselves. I, I, I don't think they were brave enough. They were methodical and slow in their build-up. Now, to me, that's a tactic. What, what would the tactic be for that when you've got Membry, King and Marshall inside your 50? I can see it being you're trying to drag the Melbourne defenders out. They have to come out. So you lead up and you want to short leads. The other option is to go long and quick. And if you don't get that right, May and Lever are going to zone off and protect that space in front of Max King. So I'm not sure St Kilda were confident in what system they were going to use their ball movement to counter out, counteract uh, May and Lever. That's what it looked like on the TV. Very difficult to watch, but methodical, slow build-up. Melbourne win it back, rebound, four goals, two to zero, three. See you later. No comeback from that. Well, the other interesting, intriguing question here goes to coaching and tactics and what have you, because we saw Hawthorne apply a 
a hard tag to wingman Ed Langdon last week, and it had a pretty good effect. Well, uh, I'm not looking at you, but was that a pause? I just okay. Well, oh, that was keep going. Okay, well, I'm going to keep going. Why the, oh. when it, when it, when it, let me get it out when it was successful. Okay. Why would you back away from applying exactly the same tactic? Well, St Kilda did, and the upshot was Ed Langdon ended up with <laughs> 39 disposals, a key part in this win, and arguably the best player on the ground. So what was Brett Ratton thinking? Or not? I don't know. And you know I'm an old out-of-the-sheety-cut-the-head-off-the-snake. Yep. Right? That's how I was brought up. That's how I had to coach at Fitzroy. I'm not saying I knew what I was doing, but on the magnet board, the first name goes to stop the outlet, stop Langdon's running. But no, no, didn't you watch last week's game? Young McGuinness, who didn't have a terrific game against Essendon, mind you, he did a great job. Mm. And it just, oh, I can't work it out. I don't know the modern game. 39 on a wing. Um and there he was all the time. If you're under pressure, Langdon will be there. Give it to him. Take away the outside option. And you know you know what makes it even less excusable is the fact that you could perhaps look at that and say, okay, well, they felt that they had to apply defensive pressure elsewhere. But at the same time that was going on, they were already in trouble at quarter time, four goals to zip. So what happens in the second quarter? They let Clayton Oliver off a chain. Oliver had 15 disposals in the second quarter. They let Angus Brayshaw off a chain. He ended up with 31 disposals and, and a 13 goal. marks. And and the upshot of that second quarter midfield dominance of the Demons were Brown and Tom McDonald each kicked two goals in that second quarter. Game over. So it's like they let it slip through their fingers without even trying much to cut the head off a snake. In their defence, you cannot tag them all. Which one do you go to? I, If I had a choice of one and I had a reasonably strong midfield, you might think I'm being silly, I'd probably still go head-to-head with Oliver and um, like if I had Cripps and Chera at my disposal. But the outlet pass, Ross Lyon, uh, you know, tagged the bloke that gets affected by it the most. Petrarca doesn't get affected by it. Dustin Martin didn't. Uh, Clayton Oliver doesn't. But it's been proven that the Del Santos of this world and the Langdons of this world that need service are the great are affected by the ta- by the tag. At least they could have cut out one of the avenues to Melbourne's attack. Yeah, interesting times. Uh, be interesting. It is interesting. Look, you know what? And if we had rats on at the moment, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk about it because they're interesting debates. And as you well know, can I can I ask you a question? Certainly. I don't watch a lot of press conferences, and I've been blessed as a coach to have to face uh, uh, the Polters and the Reeds and and uh, these sort of blokes over the years, the Connollys, um, etc. Why don't they ask those questions now, Ron? That's a, that's a good question, Rob. Uh, I'll tell you but, why. Well, they ask them when I go, uh, but I don't go to that many anymore because basically, uh, well, for a start, it's junior reporters who tend to cover the actual games now, believe that, it or well, not. Well, that's what I was saying. The hard I was lucky. I had the hardcore blokes 
hammering me. Yeah, because uh, you know. stu- perhaps stupidly, we were sort of brought up that the actual games were probably the most important, <laughs> important thing we were writing about, whereas <laughs> now that seems to get in the way of a lot of what a lot of footy you writers... You about football, Rowan. I know, it's ridiculous. It was, how, how unfashionable. I'd never get on now. Um, <laughs> but it's also that when they uh, do televise the press conferences now, it's that they're, they're looking for the sort of uh, the the quick answer to the obvious question. So they don't want to, you know, the reporters aren't interested in talking about tactics because they don't actually want to know what the guy's saying about that. They, this they is want, intriguing. I'm well, finding this is, intriguing. Well, this is how it works. They want to coach. They want to ask something about a controversial headline grabber and they want the coach to say, oh, that's crap or, you know, uh, Dusty's definitely coming back next week. They don't want a two-minute uh, dissertation on why Brett Bratton chose not to tag Ed Langdon, even though it's probably a key uh, element in describing... To the game. Was mm, okay. Was. Well, right yeah. Just never forget that, that to a lot of media these days, the games get in the way of what they do. But uh, there you go. Uh, the media being what it is these mm. days, uh, I think we should do a What's next week, week, mate? Oh, Melbourne. They've, they've got... They've got the blockbuster, haven't they? I want to do a special. Sorry. edition. I want to do a special edition on the football media. Um, oh, uh, I know. Fasten your seatbelts for that one, but we'll uh, we'll talk <laughs> we'll talk about that at a later date. Okay. Can I come on that ride? Can I be in the front seat? Oh, absolutely. As an ex-coach, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, no, just sit back and okay. hear me unload on uh, a lot of people. Well, I'm um, used to it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Indeed you are. I've been particularly angry this year. Uh, Melbourne Lucky is... Lucky and had a bloody win. <laughs> Melbourne, oh. Melbourne is going over to Perth and facing yeah, the Eagles. 5.20pm okay. Eastern time on Sunday afternoon. As for the Saints, they are up against the Cats. Saturday twilight at Marvel Stadium. That should be an intriguing contest for yep. both those clubs. One game left to finish sure. off round nine. Let's rip into it. Big weekend of footy concluded at Marvel Stadium with the Sunday Twilight game, 4.40 start. It was between Carlton and Adelaide, and it ended in triumph for the Blues, who moved into the top four. Yep, you heard right, top Carlton. Four sitting in the AFL top four at the end of round eight after a emphatic win by 48 points over the Crows. The final scores, Carlton 17-14, 116 defeating Adelaide, 10-8-68. And uh, even that margin perhaps not reflective of a second half in which Carlton dominated, particularly that third term. They slammed on six goals to just two behinds to turn a handy half-time lead into a thumping 66-point three-quarter time lead. Good players. Well, they had them everywhere. And how's this forward tandem ticking over like a dream for them? Charlie Curnow and Harry Mackay. Nine goals between them this week. Six to Curnow, six to Mackay, two to Cripps. And is he having some sort of season, the skipper? Two to Fisher, two to Silvani, four the Crows, two to Walker, Two to McAdam, singles the rest. Well, the Crows weren't shocking early on. I thought they were keeping Carlton reasonably honest, but the Blues definitely got on top in the uh, back half of that second quarter and uh, then just exploded in the third term. And uh, really exciting stuff. They were winning the ball repeatedly out of the middle. 
getting it long and quickly down forward where Kerno and Mackay were an ever-present threat. And uh, not just to the Crows, because that pair, uh, provided they get uh, quality delivery, which the Blues seem to be able to provide a lot these days, they are going to trouble most opposing defences. Really impressive win, I thought, from the Blues, who ended up with, cop this, apparently an equal world record inside 50 count, 74 inside 50s for the game to Adelaide's 49. It was uh, statistical dominance and it was scoreboard dominance. Uh, The Blues doing it very nicely, Robert Shaw. 100 points before three-quarter time and with five minutes to go in in the third quarter, they'd kick 6-5 to a point and had 20 to 7 inside 50. So uh, it's no surprise that that inside 50 count bounced out to 74, which I wasn't aware of. So I think the Blues have come up short. Now, this is a big statement, but can Mackay and Kurnow um, have a similar impact on their particular club as the drafting of Franklin and Ruffhead all those years ago. I know they're not in Franklin's class, but they do have do they have the capacity to challenge that combination, which was effectively a premiership decision? I think they do. And uh, you know, gee, and I mean there's been a good what three years where they've been on the same list, but we just haven't been able to see it because of Kerno's perpetual mm. Injuries, But no, look, I, I think it's a good call. That's how talented both these guys are. We knew how talented Kerno was before he ran into those hip issues. And Mackay, of course, uh, has already delivered with an outstanding 2021. So really exciting prospects for them. Of course, you've got to have a midfield capable of uh, giving those opportunities, but their midfield now looks a lot deeper and a lot and, more consistent. And Hewitt didn't play, don't forget. Well, we say, yeah, that's a good point. So no Hewitt, but you've got Chera. Uh, you've got a, a Kennedy. Farm. Well, Kennedy is uh, been on a real, world record pace, yeah, isn't he's been, he? He's been a really important, uh, what would you say, revival, I guess, having revived his career. He's been really important for them. Uh, and they're pretty solid down back too. So they tick all the boxes at the moment, the Blues. And this is a great win, I thought. Mate, uh, as you were aware, uh, Twitter can be cruel. And... Um... I, I didn't laugh because it's sort of disrespectful. Uh, the, the draft order was Mackay, followed by Wayne Malera, followed by Kerno. And some smarty pants on the Twitter tonight have said, geez, that Wayne Malera must be a great player. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to say that disrespectfully, but... Um, uh, it's a fair yeah, point. The interesting thing wow. there too, though, is that, uh, well, the other two are key forwards and uh, they hardly grow on trees, do they? Whereas the, the uh, stature of Wayne Moera, well, players of that sort of yeah. uh, build are a, a bit more frequent on the ground, aren't they? Mm. On the other side, mate, Walker kicked a couple, didn't he? And our two boys um, that we were big reps for a month ago, we were pushing them up. They've dropped right off the scene, young Himmelberg and Gallant, haven't they? It looks like um, they're playing in round 19 or or in the middle of July sometime. They just um, haven't been able to just take that next kick. Uh, Rochelle, well, Rochelle, so Big Tex is on his own at the moment and uh, they were able to contail him. Uh, young, Lockie Young mm. uh, from Footscray mm. has been a... Uh, came into the side late, 
You know, they lost Jones, then they lost um, McGovern. Then he got his chance. Um, thank goodness that's a very good draft pick. He's been very good for Carlton, uh, supporting Wietering in the back half. Um, where to for Carlton? Um, six and two is a perfect start for an emerging team. Absolutely perfect. Wouldn't want it any better. They're not going to be a 7-1 team, but is this a launching pad or are we seeing the best of Carlton? I think they get Hewitt back. Um, um, this uh, Mackay and Kerno are still working together. They lost Jack Martin. They want him in the side. And, of course, Chris Cripps at the moment is absolutely justifying that five- to six-year contract. Yeah, well, I, j I just wanted to talk about him too because yeah, it's not rocket science, is it? But uh, he just looks so reinvigorated by the fact he's now got some quality around him and he's not having to carry the load so frequently on his he's own. He's going just, forward, Rowan. He's yeah. going forward. But you can, you can, you know, my, my, my point is you can see the greater energy and enthusiasm and, and um, fun. You know, I saw him interviewed after the game. There's a real sense of fun, I think, about his football, which has been missing for a couple of years. This is a great game by him. 35 disposals, 12 wow. score involvements, two goals, oh. nine clearances. Um, He's, I tell you what, I haven't seen a Brownlow medal market lately, but he'd have to be favourite at the moment, wouldn't he? Or very close to Yeah, it. right in it because, um, look, um, <clears throat> probably taken five. You, you've summed this up beautifully. And and I think, um, you know, Michael Malthouse, please, Michael, 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 trade, trade Nate Fife. Fife will do the same for Fremantle. Fife can win Fremantle a premiership, Rowan, given he goes into that midfield that's carried them and, and, and as Cripps has done, he's gone in there, Stewart, there's Kennedy, um, Sarden Williams rebounding. I don't think Paddy Cripps has to chase anymore you know, with, and, play, and play with injury. Mm -hmm. He can push forward and that's what Nate Fife will do. The disturbing thing about Mick Malthouse's Nat Fife call isn't, is that it's not even the most outrageous call he's made this year. You know what that was? Uh, oh, Essendon to win the premiership. <laughs> Correct. I reckon they're line ball. I reckon they're line ball. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's oh, how right. the media works these days, Rob. Say outrageous stuff and get noticed for it, no matter if it uh, right completely on. ruins Is that how it works now? So you get in your car yeah. and drive down to the petrol station, buy your Herald Sun to read, and you pay your... Two dollars, do you? Well, just say is stupid, that what it's about? Is just it? Just say stupid stuff that turns heads. Kane okay. Corns, Corns has been doing it for the last five <coughs> years, and he's flying. It's probably why I'm now a media dinosaur. Anyway, enough of that. Anyone think I was bitter and twisted about the profession I devoted a fair chunk of my life to, as well as my footy club? But I'm not. Um, all right, next week. The Blues have got the Giants. That one is on Sunday afternoon at Giants Stadium, 3.20pm. Mm. And the Crows, uh, well, pretty tough for them. Even at home, they've got a 7.40pm Saturday night engagement with Brisbane, who can play a bit of decent footy. So, tough one for the Crows. That, well done, though, Ron. was the end of round eight. Now, before you say goodbye, don't forget our plugs. Yep. We have got wonderful, yep. loyal sponsors in Palmerbet. We're very proud to have them on board. And you can get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet, of course. Always make sure 
you gamble responsibly. You can support this podcast, be um, uh, an official uh, Footyology podcast supporter at the ACAST support page on whatever platform you're listening to us, or you can become a patron of Footyology, and that includes the podcast, the website, the videos, the uh, mini-series, the plays, the musical, uh, all works in production, but you name it, you'll be part of it if you become a Footyology patron via the many links to Patreon, which you can find on the Footyology website. And uh, we'll be back, Robert, in uh, the middle of the week. Wednesday morning. Preview round nine. Gee, this season's going quick, but uh, good weekend of footy. Uh, thanks for your involvement in it. Uh, good any, evening. Any words of wisdom before you leave? Or happy Mother's Day again to all the... What did Ronnie Barker and... Uh... So, uh, so it's good night from me, and it's good and night from good him. night from him. Thank you. Uh, good night. We'll see you next week.